culinary road trip, let's go! There are so many great restaurants in America to try. Ugh, great restaurants, but terrible roads. Darn it, I'm never gonna make my reservation. Wait a minute, hello, hello, hey, hey, help! Bonjour, mon ami. You seem to be in a bit of trouble. Uh, yeah. Th thank you, my very French friend, for stopping by. Uh, do, you, do you have a spare tire or maybe a jack I could use? No, but I do have these. Okay, I, I have one of those too, but I, I don't want a tow. Calling in help is just going to be expensive and jack up my insurance rates. And I've got a fancy dinner tonight. I don't want to be shelling out a bunch for car trouble, so I figure I, I could just do it myself. But don't you have Geico, the sponsor for today's episode? 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Sure, stereotypical French guy, I do have Geico. I've already saved my money. Then surely you have not forgotten their award-winning mobile app, huh? And how easy it is to request roadside Helping literally two clicks. You know, come to think of it, I had forgotten about that. Thanks for the reminder. I will request that tow. The only thing faster than saving money is Geico getting you the help you need. The app can even track your car services daily to keep track of work you've had done to your vehicle. Great. Looks like I'm going to be back on the road in no time. And who knows? Maybe I'll be able to make that reservation tonight. Uh-huh. You may have good restaurants here in America, man, not as many as in France, huh? Look at all Michelin stars. Oh, boy. Look, you did me a favor tonight with some great advice, so let me do a solid for you. Qu'est-ce que Let's just rip that band-aid right off. You are not gonna like what I'm about to tell ya. Hello, Internet! Welcome to Food Theory, the show that's all revved up and ready to go. Now, if you're familiar with the name Michelin, it's probably for one of two very different things. On one hand, you've got yourself the tire company with a Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man wannabe as their mascot. And can I get real with you for a second? What is this guy supposed to be? Like, is he a stack of white tires? Look, why? Why would they think this would work? When in the history of ever have there been all white tires? He's always looked to me like a mummy. Meanwhile, on the complete other end of the spectrum, you have the Michelin star which is, like, the most prestigious award that a restaurant can aspire to. As of November of last year, there are only 2,651 Michelin star restaurants in the world, meaning that having even a single Michelin star puts the restaurant above 99.9998% of restaurants worldwide. And even though tires and fine dining seem to share nothing in common, the shared name is no coincidence. That Michelin Guide of Culinary Review fame is actually put out by the tire company. So, of course, this is one of those facts that leaves you with more questions than answers. Like, why? There must be a reason the tire mummy guy is suddenly rolling up and dropping stars all over Gordo Ramsay. It's kind of like how the Guinness Book of World Records was actually started by the Irish beer company Guinness as a way of settling arguments in pubs. A true story, by the way. So what's the connection between a tire company's star serving as the highest mark of distinction that you can possibly get in the world of fine dining? Well, today, we're going to cruise our way through the fascinating story behind the world's most prestigious dining award and then prove to you that it's all bunk. Our answer begins over a hundred years ago, back in 1900. The Michelin Company, which got its start in France making tires for bicycles, had just hopped onto a newfangled trend at the forefront of transportation, the so-called automobile. They thought that this idea was really going to be going places. It was like a carriage, but without the horse. Mind blown. Can you believe that? No horse? No horse? Now, of course, the problem with being on the bleeding edge of technology is that you're still a little bit too soon. When a trend is new, your customer base is going to be limited. Well, sure, today there are currently 38 million cars in France and over a billion cars worldwide meaning 
plenty of tires that need replacing, back in 1900, there were fewer than 3,000 in the entire country of France. So, to increase the demand for their product, the Michelin brothers put out what they would call the Michelin Guide for Motorists, a comprehensive book full of all kinds of useful information for the first ever drivers in history. In this one book, there were lists of hotels you could visit, car mechanics, gas stations, maps you could use. And here's the crazy part. Despite there being fewer than 3,000 motorists in France at the time, they decided to print 35,000 copies. In other words, this wasn't just a guide for existing motorists, it was a travel guide intended to sell people on the idea of driving around the country in an automobile. These days, we kind of take it for granted that if you buy a travel book, it's because you're planning to visit that place. But back in the old days, people purchased travel books as a form of entertainment. In a world before airplanes, when a voyage across the ocean had you spending upwards of a week at sea, an overseas vacation was just beyond the reach of most readers. So rather than taking an actual vacation, people would pick up a travel book just to read about foreign lands. That way they could vicariously experience the wonders of exotic faraway countries. Basically, they were reading books the same way that millennials browse houses on Zillow. Less for the actual usefulness, more for the fantasy of being able to afford that sort of thing. The Michelin Guide was the spearhead of a public relations campaign, all based on the idea of getting people to buy cars and then put more miles on those newly made Michelin tires. More miles driven means more tire replacements means more repeat business. Eventually, the guide would grow and evolve based on readers' interests, with new versions of the guide being printed with restaurant recommendations. This was such an immediate hit with readers that in 1926, Michelin took it a step further. They decided to not only review restaurants, but also put a star next to the ones that offered an excellent dining experience. And thus, the Michelin star was born. In 1931, they updated the system again so that an exceptional restaurant, the elite amongst the elite, could even receive multiple Michelin stars. Now, these days, the idea of picking up a travel guide full of maps and restaurants isn't exactly what you'd associate with fine dining. If you're painting a mental picture, it's probably of a parent picking up a free pamphlet at the AAA office before embarking on the family road trip, trying to figure out what greasy spoon diners there might be for stops along the way. Certainly a far cry from the class and sophistication that you'd associate with the Michelin stars of today. But remember, we're talking about the early 1900s. The automobile was new technology, and it was mostly the rich who had the cash to afford that sort of luxury. Henry Ford didn't give us the mass-produced Model T until 1908. Before then, the automobile was a hand-built item costing over a thousand dollars. And again, this was a time when a French coal miner's daily wage was about 40 US cents per day. That's 2,500 days, nearly seven years of working in the mines just to afford a car. So, well, tire company might not scream glamour and sophistication from our current day perspective in 2022, in the Michelin Guide's early days, a restaurant guide for drivers basically meant the same thing as a restaurant guide for the rich. So, Michelin had itself a clear head start in the expensive culture game, but they also made several strategic moves along the way to cultivate that aura of prestige. First, in 1920, they got rid of all ads in the book. They weren't gonna just give it away for free anymore. Instead, you had to pay for it. It's like if YouTube tried to cultivate an aura of prestige by only allowing viewership with a premium subscription. And let me be clear, the book wasn't cheap. It was priced at 750 francs back in 1920. To give you a sense of scale, that was a time when two francs would get you a loaf of bread. That 750 franc price tag was more than an average worker's monthly salary. Who spends that kind of money on a travel guide? Rich people. And here's the real kicker. Despite charging a hefty price for the guide, Michelin never needed to make that money off their travel guides in the first place. It was a tire company. It made money off of tires. It could afford to lose money off of employing a massive team of restaurant critics, even going so far as to train them in the practice of being dining experts. That wasn't their primary business. This was all just marketing. So that's the history of the Michelin Guide and how they became the cream of the crop when it comes to restaurant reviewers. But there's an uncomfortable truth that lurks behind all of this. You see, while the Michelin Guide and Michelin Stars have grown beyond simply being a way for a French tire company to encourage their French customers to buy more tires, their system, in a lot of ways, 
is broken. Let's talk about how these tasty awards are actually dished up, shall we? Worldwide, the country with the most Michelin star restaurants is France, with a whopping 632. For comparison, the US only has 193. The US isn't even in the top five. The leaderboard actually goes France with 632, Japan with 413, Italy 363, Germany 305, and Spain 212. And okay, I mean, French food is good, it's fine, but French food doesn't even typically rank among favorite cuisines by the public at large. Articles that have analyzed Google Trends data around the most searched for cuisines in the US don't even have French ranking in the top 10. Chinese beats everyone and French doesn't even compete with smaller countries like Vietnamese or Thai. Thinking that this might be just an American bias thing, I looked at global trends from places like CNN, Food and Wine Magazine, and found that among European food, Spanish and Italian tend to rank highly. But countries like the UK, Germany, and France don't come to people's minds for favorite cuisine. So we can already start to see that even at a basic level, the French focus of Michelin stars doesn't seem to align with the cuisines that people independently think of as the best. So already off the bat, there's something less than savory about the skewing of Michelin star assignments. Seems a little bit like favoritism that this global guide to dining is actually given all its best stars to France. But wouldn't you know, the focus on France is just the tip of the iceberg. Looking at the other countries on the list, Japan is a bit of an outlier, but Italy, Germany, and Spain all have one thing in common. They share a border with France. Which again, is great if you're treating the Michelin Guide as a handy reference for all the best places your French family might be able to find within driving distance, but probably isn't a representative sample of global restaurant quality. Which again, is the perception of the Michelin stars today. Sorting all the countries by most Michelin stars per capita, the top of the list is basically a list of France's neighbors. First is Japan, but third and fourth on the list are Switzerland, adjacent to France, Belgium, adjacent to France, and even little old Luxembourg, adjacent to France. In other words, Michelin's food critics appear to have two major qualities. They don't want to drive more than three hours to review a restaurant, and also their major weebs. But wait, I hear you saying, why is there a Japan bias? Japan is evidence that they're willing to look overseas for distinguished food, right? Nope. The plot thickens again, my friends. Let's take a look at Japan, which has more Michelin stars than any country not named France. Specifically, let's look at which restaurants are getting the most Michelin stars in Japan. When you look at the list this way, you see a suspiciously large number of French restaurants. After all, why would you spend an evening in Tokyo at a ramen shop when you could spend it at a restaurant of Joel Robuchon, famous French restaurateur and chef? According to Michelin, it's one of the few restaurants in Japan that's worthy of a three-star distinction. Also in that category, Lozier, a Tokyo restaurant that, as you can probably guess by the name Lozier, specializes in French cuisine. Or Quintessence, another Tokyo restaurant with a suspiciously French name that when you look at the menu, offers a fusion of Japanese, and say it with me now, French cuisine. You could eat at any number of thousands of traditional Japanese restaurants in Tokyo, but why would you want to do that when you could instead eat escargot and a nice baguette? Now, I get it, those might look like cherry-picked examples, but it's not a very long list to choose from. There's a clearly disproportionate number of Japanese restaurants with a three Michelin star distinction that specialize in French cuisine. Part of Michelin's pro-France bias might come from the streetlight effect. That's the observational bias that says that people will look for something in the place that it's easiest to look for it instead of looking where they're most likely to find it. The name actually comes from an old joke where a drunk man's looking for his lost keys after dark, and he knows that he dropped them in the park, but he decides to look on the sidewalk under the street lamp because the light makes it that much easier to see. If you're a French-based organization, it's easiest to define and look for top quality dining using your own backyard. But the Japan example shows a bias not just in where Michelin's looking, but in how they're judging culinary excellence. If you want evidence of this, just open a copy of the Michelin Guide and flip to the page about the guide's commitments. You'll find information reassuring you about the standards that they use to judge food. Whether in Japan, the United States, China, or Europe, the Michelin Guide Inspector uses exactly the same criteria to assess the quality of a restaurant or a hotel.
well, and they apply the same rules during each of their visits. Okay, so everyone gets treated by the same objective criteria. Seems fair. So what exactly are those criteria? Under a paragraph labeled l'independence, that's a uh, independence for all you non-French speakers out there, the guide reassures us in the very first sentence of the paragraph of the measures that they take to, quote, maintain a completely objective point of view. They focus on the fact that they bring in a variety of opinions in the dining judges, not at a local or national level, but as they note, a continental level. But of course, knowing the origins of the organization, that continent is Europe. And okay, Europe has a lot of countries, but in terms of population diversity, it obviously represents a small subset of cultures, and of course, cuisines from around the world. There are literally 7 billion people on continents that aren't Europe, whose opinions on food aren't being heard in the current Michelin system, at least according to the criteria. And this actually explains a lot, right? Cuisines that are easy to access and understand for Europeans have the bulk of stars. Europeans understand tapas and spaghetti and Bavarian pretzels. When it comes to Japanese culture, maybe they understand clean flavors and elegant preparations of some of the quintessential food items there, but start working with unknown spices from the Middle East, unusual preparations in Southeast Asia, or unfamiliar flavor combinations of South America, and all of a sudden, maybe things start getting lost in translation. The real problem isn't necessarily that a French reviewer can't fully understand and appreciate all cuisines in the entire world. The problem is that Michelin bills itself as impartial when clearly it's not. Consumers have been treating this one source as the definitive be-all, end-all guide to food, when probably no organization based in a single region can possibly do that. When Michelin says that all restaurants are judged by the same standard, that makes it sound objective and fair, but it completely skips past the question of whose standard the restaurants get judged by. A panel of judges from France may judge completely differently than a panel from Mexico or from South Korea. Look, if you're planning a trip to France and you want to find the best establishments to eat at, absolutely pick up a copy of the Michelin Guide. And for that matter, do the same if you're visiting Germany, Spain, Italy, Switzerland, or even the humble country of Luxembourg, apparently. But if you're planning a trip to a different part of the globe, consider that the people who live there might know their cuisine the best. As for me over here in America, I'm just waiting for AAA to give me my restaurant recommendations. Come on, AAA, come help me change that tire and then tell me what I should have for dinner. But hey, that's just a theory. A food theory. Bon appétit. And thank you again to our sponsor for today's episode, Geico. When I'm putting miles on those tires in search of the finest cuisine near me, it goes without saying that I want a car insurance that's able to go the distance. And Geico makes it easy, not just to choose insurance, but also to do everything through their mobile app. You know what else they make easy? Saving money when you bundle your home insurance and your car insurance together. I currently bundle two car policies and homeowner's insurance, which results in me saving hundreds of dollars each month while I still get world-class protection. Then I get to take all that saved money and visit some of these Michelin star restaurants. Or, you know, just grab a bunch of cheeseburgers from down the street. That one, uh, that one's probably the more accurate description of what I do. In short, adulting is hard, but switching to Geico is one decision that's easy. So head on over to the link in the video description to see how much you could save today.